First Peter chapter 2 tonight. We're still looking at the questions that, um, that one could ask in, in doing a study to, this is your personal study um, to help you in your growth. And the first, this next question is, are there any examples to follow or in this verse, is there anything in this verse that is an example? Uh, in a, we might say when we're thinking about hermeneutics, an approved example, right? So all examples are not good examples, but an approved example uh, is important. So verse 21 says, for if for you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. And so if you were to dissect this verse with the understanding of I'm looking for an example, uh, well, you, you, you would exhaust the Bible just from this verse alone because Christ left us an example. And so we look at all the prophecies that spoke about Christ and then Christ, the fulfillment of the prophecies, and then what did Christ do um, mentally, emotionally, and you might even say spiritually to prepare himself to fulfill all of the prophecies, and then it would just go on and on and on. So it will be a great uh, study, but a very lengthy one. So trusting God is is critical, right? Do I do I really? This is a really this is a, a question that when, when I ask myself the question, I have to be honest. Do I really trust God? Now, maybe that's more of a, a question involving a specific. Do I really trust God? in this area. Maybe I don't trust God as much in that area. I mean, so when you, when you talk to Christians, um, you'll find that sometimes we find ourselves you know, with more faith and confidence over here and a little bit less faith and confidence in this tragic situation over here. But the trust of God needs to be just across the board, that I need to trust God equally all the way across the board. Believe in God, believe also in me. John 14 in verse 1, Jesus said that. He said, you, gotta, you just have to, you have to trust, right? Do I really, truly, John 14 and verse 1, do I really, truly trust God in everything? Well, that's, that's a pretty blanket statement or question, and it's really a tough one because to, honest, to answer that question honestly, when I go back into my own um, thought pattern, I realize that in some areas I'm a little weaker than I am in other areas. And so therefore, maybe I don't quite trust God fully in everything, which I know I don't, right? So how about you? When you think about the scriptures um, and you think about all of what God has to say, where is my confidence when it comes to the tragic or the chaotic, very difficult moments as opposed to the everyday, day-to-day walk of life? It's easier to trust God in good times, right? than it is to trust God in bad times. So the practice uh, is when I look at that question and and I think about John 14 and verse 1, I look at that question and I say, okay, so what I need to do to prepare my mind to trust God in the absolute bad and difficult times is make sure I actively practice the trust and confidence in God in my good times, in my day-to-day walk of life. And so... John, Jesus was speaking to um, Peter, and he said, believe in God, believe also in me. He was speaking to Thomas, you know, kind of prior to that, believe in God, believe also in me. 
But the key to that scripture is when he says, do not let your heart be troubled. Wow, right? Really? But, but Jesus, and there's no but Jesus. <laughs> do not let your heart be troubled. Okay, the next question. Let's go to Proverbs. This is the easiest verse for me. Um, contrast, because they're, they're clear contrast. They're clear contrast in Proverbs and probably any other book, because chapter 10 on uh, deals with contrast. Uh, this versus that. So in verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. And so am I a wise son or a foolish son? Right? Have I ever been a wise son? <laughs> Have I ever been a foolish son? And we find the contrast even uh, in our day-to-day walk of faith in our lives. And so we're studying the Scriptures. Are there contrasts as you're looking through the Scriptures and you're studying God's Word? And then not only the contrast, cause and effects. You know, like for, you know, this happened, therefore that happens. And I want to go to Ecclesiastes for that one. Uh, chapter 8. The cause and the effect in the scripture. I had another scripture written down, but that was a little more, I have to do a little more work with that one. But this one I think is pretty clear. Because the sentence of an evil deed is not executed quickly, that's the cause. Therefore, the hearts of the sons of men uh, among them are given fully to do evil. And that's the effect. In other words, you know, the old word, I, I don't know if you've ever used this word, but. Uh, I learned the word going to Bible study uh, with, with friends uh, early in the church. I, you know, when I was a baby in Christ. And they would say, okay, if God, if you were standing somewhere and someone said a bad word and then God zapped them, you know, he killed them instantly, right? Just zapped them. And then it was your turn to speak. What word would you not use? <laughs> right? It was like, not that word, right? And so you, you look at a situation and you say, okay, so what if God did that every time we sinned? What would that keep us from doing? Well, that, that wouldn't be true, would it? If, if God zapped every t- a person every time, they, well, the world would be over by now, right? Because um, we have to deal with life in a different way. So there are contrasts in the Scriptures. This brings about that or because this happened, that happened, or that didn't happen. Uh, another one to look at is in Galatians chapter 6 regarding, regarding friendship and relationships and it says, uh, again, the idea, do not be deceived. Um, verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows. This will he also reap, right? So we see the sowing and the reaping. So, well, he sowed this, and because he sowed this, here's what he reaped. Or this event happened because of what he did over here. Verse, uh, the next verse, verse 8, for the one who sows to his own flesh shall reap from the uh, flesh corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. So am I living my life sowing for the spiritual or am I living my life sowing toward the physical, the flesh? If my life is being sown toward the flesh, then I'm going to reap fleshly benefits, but I'm going to li- miss out on my spiritual blessing, right? If I'm sowing my life or sowing the seeds in my life for the spiritual, then I reap the spiritual blessings, which also brings the physical blessings. And so there's a double blessing in sowing to the Spirit, and there's only a single blessing in sowing to the flesh, right? And you can talk about that all day long, and you can see that throughout the Scriptures where this person prepared his heart, 
and this person did not. And one of the easiest scriptures to use, uh, it's a generic, but it is a very easy scripture to use, is when you go into Solomon's life in 1 Kings 3, you find that Solomon prayed for what? He prayed God would give him um, the ability to lead his people in a spiritual way, right? Godliness and, and to make them serve God. And God gave him not only the spiritual blessings, but he also gave him the physical blessings as well. And so, sold to the spirit and you reap the double blessing, so to the flesh, and you only reap one blessing, right? The flesh and the flesh alone. Uh, really important. Okay. The next question I want to get through is um, Acts chapter 15. Acts 15. Um, problems and solutions. So you're studying the Bible and you're reading, you know, the, the book of Job or the book of wherever, wherever book you're reading, and, and as you look through it, you're looking for principal answers, right? Or principles that may bring specific answers into your life about a situation. And so, are there problems in the Bible that are presented as problems? And then if there are, are there solutions that, uh, that are given? Uh, so we'll start in Acts 15, and we'll look at verse, beginning at verse 1. And some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, how will we answer that? Right? Now, I think about this so this is a, a, a principle, right? Imagine someone comes in here and tells us, well, unless you do these things, you cannot be saved. Well, the first thing we have to do, verse 2, uh, and when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension uh, and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas were, and certain others were of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. So the first thing Paul and Barnabas did was run and tell the whole brotherhood. No. They dealt with the situation right there. And I said, well, well, well let's, you know, let's think about that, preacher. I mean, you know, you, you're teaching the, the flock, the congregation, that if a person is not, as such as in this text, circumcised, uh, they cannot be saved. Or if they, cannot, if they don't do this, they cannot be saved. Or some kind of false teaching, you have to deal with it instead of allowing, allowing it to just um, continue because it has spread like gangrene, right? It has spread and destroyed the whole flock. Now... If the, if the situation in, in your studies become a little bigger than that, where, you know, this is not just um, an issue that we're finding in our congregation. Now we found this congregation has, uh, this, rather, this issue is one that actually came from somewhere else and spreading everywhere. Well, then we need to get together as a body of people, right? Maybe, you know, Anchorage, South Anchorage, the whole state may, may we need to come together to solve the problem, such as what they did here in verse 3. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, uh, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. And when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done uh, with them. But certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, Is it necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses? That question was festering. So they had to deal with it, right? And so, you know, everyone began to stand up, very important men, the apostles and James, etc., to deal with the issue. In other words, we got to deal with the issues. We can't be afraid to deal with the issues, right? That's important. That's critical. And if we don't deal with the issues, we'll find that teachings, um, destructive teachings, can destroy not only a congregation, but even, even all of the church, right? Look at verse 6. And the apostles and the elders came together to look into 
this matter. And so I think the idea of looking into it means they didn't come into it with, um, uh, with a, you know, a, an attitude of, hey, you're wrong and we're right. But rather, let's look into it and let's see. We know the Bible is always right. So let's take a look at what the Scriptures say. And then let's draw a conclusion based on what the Word of God has to say. So is there a problem? And if there is, what is the solution from God? So you'll find that all the way through both Old and New Testament, you'll find God's God, the problem that has arisen, and you'll find God's solution to the problem. But it has to be where? In the Word of God, right? All of us have opinions. Those don't count. We want, what does the Bible have to say? And we really, really have to dig. And sometimes um, you, you can't resolve that problem with just one, in one sitting. You've got to go back and do some more research. Oh, that's a good point. Go back and study. But what's, what's critical is when you're reading about the problem, now let's make it more personal. I read the scripture and I find me in there. <laughs> you know, it doesn't quite say Tony, but it pretty much is talking about me. Now what do I have to do? What's the first rule? Humble yourself and make it right with God. Right? Got to humble yourself. Make it right with God. And then ask God to open up and reveal to you the greater solution to the problem that you are personally having. So the next one, and then we'll, get, we'll be finished with these um, with the questions. Um, let's go to Matthew 24. To me, of all the, uh, you know, I enjoy doing, you know, asking these questions in my study to help to open my mind up to things I'm not really thinking about. You know, is there a lesson to learn? Are, are there commandments in there that I've got to obey? Is there, is there something I need to claim for me? Whether it be a, a sin that i got to change or whether it be something that, you know, you're on the right track, keep that going. Uh, is there a promise in there from, from God? But I really enjoy looking at connections. You know, I really love looking at Genesis, and then just reading through and thinking about a topic, right? A theme. Maybe we'll call it a theme. Thinking about a theme or an idea and find it in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You know, try to find it in every book of the Bible. That's fun. It may sound weird, but it really is. It's a lot of fun because it's all connected. The Bible is truly, I heard this when I was really, really I think I was in my earlier days of college, and they'd say, you know, there's a thread that runs through the Bible on pretty much every topic that you'll ever think, uh, look for. And I learned later the thread is not specific. It's a principle, right? There's a principle thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation on almost every topic you can imagine or come up with. And, you know, I'm like, well, that, I don't think that's true. How could that possibly be? Do you know how many subjects we could come up with? But the reality is there aren't as many as we think. Because it's the principle, not the specific, right? It's like when Noah took animals onto the ark. He took the animal, but the animal, the species, right, can produce other, other animals within the species line. So he didn't have to take all of the animals, but he took the ones in that species line. And that right there really shrinks down the number of Animals that were actually on the ark, even though there were a ton of animals on the ark, but it's the species line. And then the species line has an end, and that's another study for another time. But the point is, when you start looking at the scriptures, you'll find that this thread runs all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. And you can do it on your own. You can go and just think of something that, uh, that's important to you, and, and it has to be of value, right, to you. Uh, write that thought down that, and look for the, think about the principle. Maybe you might research, what is the principal idea of, of this particular area that I'm looking into. Um, and then you'll find it all the way through 
from beginning to end, which is really great. It's a great study. So, the connections. Are there connections? So let's do a really simple one. Matthew 24 is a, a one that everyone pretty much, I think, knows. Verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop go down, excuse me, not go down to the, get the things out of the house, or the things that are in the house, excuse me. And let him who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are with child, and those who nurse babies in those days. But pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall. And unless those days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days shall be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. And it goes on. For false Christ uh, and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead if possible even the elect. Uh, behold, I have told you in advance. And so the abomination of desolation, right? So you say, okay, that's the abomination of, of desolation. And you find that not just once in the Old, New Testament, but again in the New Testament. You find um, also events that are spoken of in the book of Daniel. So we go back to Daniel chapter 9 to find this... Um, the activity of this event. And it's interesting how it, when you read it, it, it says in the very first verse, let the reader understand. And then you say, well, how will I understand that? Well, guess what you have to do? You have to go read. Because right? you have to go find the match. Where's the mate to Matthew 24, verses 15 and following? Um, also, what's interesting, pray, we're going to Daniel chapter 9. Pray that uh, your flight is not you know, on the Sabbath day. Well, why? Well, because the gates are supposed to be closed, right, on a, on a Sabbath day. And, you know, there's so much more to think about in this, in this study. But Daniel 9 is the mate, verses 26 and 27. And you have to go back now and dig into Daniel 9 to try to understand you know, all of what's being said. Excuse me. Uh, 9.26. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who has come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood even to the end, and there will be war and desolations uh, are determined. Or these will be, this, excuse me, there will be war and desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant uh, with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week it will stop a sacrifice, a grain offering, and on the wing of the abomination will come the one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. And so we're not studying Daniel, so we have to talk about what, what is Daniel talking about? Well, the point is not necessarily tonight to find out, well, what is Daniel talking about? The point is, is that there's a match, right? There's the match, the abomination of desolation prophesied by Daniel long ago. In fact, um, when you're looking at the people, we call it the Dark Ages, you know, from like 400 uh, B.C. to like 4 A.D., 4 B.C., when Jesus Christ is born. Those are the Dark Ages because there's no, there's no literature. There's no, and, and there's plenty of literature and understand. The book of Daniel, is all, it covers that whole period. And so he talks about all the things that are happening during the Grecian period and the, you know, the division of the four uh, kingdoms or the, the 
Grecian kingdom being divided up into four, and then uh, you have the Ptolemies and the Seleucids, and you know, then Rome comes along. He tells you about the whole thing. It's not as dark as we have uh, claimed that it, that it is. I know it's because there's no prophet, but you have the prophecy being fulfilled. So it's just when you're studying, um, know that God does have a match for everything uh, in the Scriptures, and we'll uh, look at a Scripture of that in, in a little bit here. Um, when you're reading the Bible, read it, you know, read it carefully, right? I mean, it, you treat it you know, like it's, it's dynamite, the word dynamo, right? In the Scriptures, it's dynamite, and the Bible is dynamite, right? Be be careful with it, because um, you don't you don't want it to explode into um, a, a revelation in your mind that's incorrect, you know, because then you may may have, have, have problems there. You want to make sure that uh, as you're studying it, you're careful about how you um, you deal with the text. That's really important. Uh, the next thought is to study it with reverence, right? To to do I, you know. I'm reading not just a book. I'm I'm reading the Bible. I'm reading God's word. Yes. His what? Who? Oh, we're looking for. See, we're talking. I need to take my glasses off so I can find your glasses. <laughs> All right. Okay. Be careful where you step. <laughs> All right. So. Um, so when you read it, it's God talking, right? So handle it delicately and realize the holiness therein, right? This is a holy book. Not that we, not that we can't, you know, I mean, I'm not talking about the fact that we can't close it and hold it, and, you know, preachers get up in the pad. I'm not saying that. But, I'm, but if the words within it that are contained within the scriptures are 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 sanctified words. I want to go back to Nehemiah chapter 9. Um, they're, they're sanctified words. They're words that will uh, bring us um, salvation, but they're also words of destruction, right, to destroy a, a lost and dying world who refuses to surrender to God. And as you read the Bible, realize that it is, I want to know what God is saying to me, right? And, and when I think about what is God saying to me, it the Bible begins to open up more clearly because God reveals something to you, right? In other words, God's not dead, right? God's alive. His word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So if it's living, when you read it, it's going to pierce your heart. If we open our heart, right? We have to open our heart when we read it for God to pierce or penetrate our hearts. If we close our hearts and say, well, I, just, I got my reading done for the day and you check the box, it might not penetrate like God has designed for it too. So in Nehemiah uh, chapter 9, I want to look at what, what happened when, as they read, right? Uh, number one, they stood. While they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a fourth of the day. And watch what happened. And for a fourth, they confessed. What brought them to confession? Because the law pierced their heart, right? And they had been living in sin and had to change, transform their minds and worship the Lord, their God. They also 
worship. And so the, the book was treated, it was, you know, Nehemiah in, in these days, trying to get, you know, the Jews back to the idea of, you know, your, your servitude, your service to God has to be right, right? And so anyway, it, it pricked their heart, um, like Josiah, you know, he read it, and wow, we're, God's so angry at us, because they read it with an open heart and allowed God to speak to them. Also, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, as we allow God to speak to us, it's not just reading the Bible. I want to give you something to think about. Maybe, I mean, you probably, all this stuff, I know I'm just reminding you of things you already know, you heard. But when you're reading the Bible, it's not just reading the Bible. It's fellowshipping, communing with God, right? It's, I, I'm reading the Holy Word, and I'm in, the, I'm in the presence. You know, I'm trying to be in the presence of God. I want to be, I want to be in God, if that, if that makes sense. I mean, I know God is in us from baptism, but what I'm saying, you, you want to be all over this. Try to get, really let God just just clear your mind of worldly thought and, and open your heart, right? And you're, you're in fellowship with God when you're reading His Word. And so when God is talking, um, I want to know, God, what do you want me to know today? Right? And if you have faith, some, some Christians, when I say that, look at me funny, and they say, there's something wrong with you, but maybe there is. But isn't it true? I want to know what God wants me to know. There's a time when, when I read the Bible, and I, I, you know, and maybe I'm in a hurry, and I don't get it. When you're in a hurry, you're not going to get out of the book what you, what you need to get out of the book. When you're in a hurry and you're just trying to read through it, you're going you're gonna to miss some very important things because it's not revealed, right? Trusting in God to open up our hearts to give us what he's trying to give us. And one of the things that God gives us is discipline. <laughs> you, know, you read and you go, and you start reading about things in the Bible. Instead of looking at, when you put yourself in the, and we're going to look at this idea in a moment, putting yourself in the, in the scene, right? I want to be in, the, put me in the scene of that day. And so you have to kind of use your mind. I'm asking you to use all your senses here. And, and, and what is God telling me? I was asking the question um, today in the office, if, if we were there on the day of, of the crucifixion, and, and, and the crowd was shouting, crucify, 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 which, which, which side would you have been on? What would you have been saying in that day? What would you have done in that day? So here I am, and I go, well, you know, um, I, would, I would try to stop them, or I would, really, would you try to stop them, right? Now, if you're not a Christian yet, you probably would have been on the side yelling, crucify. I would have, right? Why, would you, why wouldn't you? You're, you're not a Christian. You don't know God. So, you know, you kind of go along to get along. Isn't that principle the same idea in our world today? Our young folks go along to get along because they're afraid to yell, stop it. Or you, you get what I'm saying, right? It's, it's being in the moment. If you're in the moment, okay, so I'm reading the Word of God, and I'm in the moment, and I want to know what it is that God wants me to know. So we'll start at verse 7. Sometimes it's discipline. For it is for, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not 
sons. I want to stop here for a moment, and I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is not going to be on the board, by the way. Um, and I want to look at verse 32. You know, we go here for the, for the communion, right, the communion verses. I want to go all the way down to verse 32. One, it's really, really interesting um, and impressive scripture. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord. Why? So why is it important for me to open up my heart and let God tell me what he wants to tell me and discipline me and then I receive that discipline, doesn't always feel good, right? I receive that discipline and I, I repent, uh, I confess my fault, my error at that moment, I repent and ask God to help me and I've learned this because I'm reading the scripture like Paul said in Romans, he said, you know, had I not read Thou shalt not covet, I, you know, I would have never known that there's coveting all throughout me. He says, I found I'm such a coveter, and I didn't even know it. But then he realized it, and then he changed his life. So here, 1 Corinthians 10, or rather 11, verse 32, why? But, but when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord. Why? In order that we may not be condemned along with the world. Where's the world going? And I going to heaven, going to hell. So you, this is the reason why when you're reading, open your heart and let God show you you so that you can change now and it's going to sting a little and, and, and then make the necessary changes. Go back to Hebrews, please. Um, make the necessary changes now so that way you won't be punished with the rest of the world because you've closed your heart, hardened your heart, to what the Lord has to say. So God says, I discipline those whom I love. Verse 9, Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for a moment seems to be uh, not to be joyful, but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And so now you begin to study about discipline, and Proverbs will say, you discipline a fool, and you're going to get stripes on your back, <laughs> right? So now, you know, we've got a whole other subject to, to study. But uh, So studying, digging, allowing God to open up our hearts so we may grow, because growing is, is critical, right? Um, 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's important to grow and grow and grow, right? Grow every, every day. We have to grow spiritually. If we're not growing uh, in Christ, then we're not, uh, we're not moving forward. Uh, we're moving in a, in a negative direction. It's like we're moving, we're, we're on, a, on a treadmill and we're going nowhere, right? You don't want to be on a treadmill in life. You want to be on solid ground, the solid ground that that Jesus puts us on, Isaiah chapter 40, and we're on this solid ground, though we're tired and weary, but we're on the solid ground, and we're moving in a positive direction. That's what God wants us to do. But he doesn't just say grow in knowledge, as you read the scriptures, um, grow in happiness, grow in, you know, apply these things to your life. But 2 Peter 3.18 is a whole different, entirely different level of growth. It's growing grace. Whoever thought that? That you can, so there's grace. And you know, we always hear people say this all the time. You can't out-sin God. Well, that depends on how much grace you have, <laughs> right? I mean, you better have more grace than your sin. 
right? So he says you can grow in grace. So grow, but grow in the grace and knowledge. Second Peter 3.18 of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And so to grow in Christ. Now, what helps us in our reading? Um, the, with, a long time ago they said the picture tube, right? You know, the, the television. But prior to that was a theatr- theatrical. You know, it was theater. You know, and so they would, they would tell you a story and they would act it out. And, the, and a, good, a good storyteller had the ability to put you in the scene, right? They put you right in it. You listen to them and you go, wow, and you were just captivated. Well, that's the way it's supposed to be when you read the scriptures. So I want to go to Daniel chapter 3 to, to try. I'm not a good storyteller. The Bible is, though. So you use your, um, the imaginative portion of your minds and, and put yourself in the scene. I often do this when I'm studying with someone about salvation. Um, I try to put them in right in Acts 2. Stick them right in there. Here we go. Boom, right in there. We hear these strange sounds. People are speaking in our language, and they're telling us stuff about how great God is, and it's a beautiful thing. And you're, you're curious, like, what is this? And you, you, you know, you begin to inquire, and then you find out that there are some things that you did that you were a part of that you're not too proud of. Like, you were there when Jesus was crucified. Uh, and you didn't stop it because you didn't have the power. I mean, these guys had swords and, and shields, and it was Rome. It was Rome. There's nothing I could do. And you watched him. He walked, you know, you were standing there, and you, you had a glimpse of him carrying the cross, and you, you didn't know how to feel. You learned later that that event was the execution of the Messiah. And you realize that you had a part in that. Now, today I would say, well, I don't have a part in that. I mean, you know, then I would realize, wait a minute, it was my sin, my sin that drove him, that sent him to the cross. So I did have a part. And now I feel, I don't know, how do you feel? Well, I don't feel good about that. Yeah, me neither. I feel horrible about that. Prick to the heart. And now I'm, I need to do something, but I don't know what to do. So we say, what do we do, Peter? What does the Bible tell us to do? And then I read Acts 2, 36 and 37. He's both Lord and Christ. And in 37, they were pricked to the heart. Hey, they felt the same way we feel. What should we do? And then you read verse 38. Why don't we do that? You know, right? Just kind of put them in, uh, in the account that God gives us. So Daniel chapter 3, uh, the account of Nebuchadnezzar, um, you know, the, the, the satraps, the governors, you know, politics, right? They're, they're, you know, we're going to get, we're going to find a way to, to get uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We want them all kids. We want them dead. We want these Jews dead. We don't even want them here, the Babylonians, right? Because they were thinking in their own mind. They decided, you know, we're going to have, we're going to raise this. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to, we're going to boast, uh, or, or if you will, lift Nebuchadnezzar up higher than he knows he's supposed to be. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar knows. I mean, he heard in Daniel 2, Daniel revealed to him, right, uh, what the dream was. So now he knows, yeah, he's, he's greatness. And so it didn't take much to boost his ego. Let's build a statue. And you're there. And you come out, and there's this, this statue, and it's of gold. It's huge, massive. And then, and then the important people come out, and then you hear the trumpet blow, and they begin to announce to the community uh, that you have to worship this idol. 
but you, you, you just, you're in Babylon because you're in captivity and you weren't supposed to worship idols and, and you and your ancestors worshiped idols and that's why you're in Babylon right now and removed from your home. You're in, you're in captivity, the Babylonian captivity. And now you're in a position to where this, this guy, this, this king, Nebuchadnezzar, he, he's in charge of my life. And, and, and I know God knows he put the statue up. And, and then he tells us this. He says in, in Daniel 3, uh, verse, verse 7, Therefore, at the time when, when you hear all the peoples heard the sound, the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, and all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. We, we all, everybody's, everyone's falling down. Now, at this point, you've got to make a decision. All right, am I going to fall down? We just came from captivity. We're only going to be here 70 years, so it's not been long. Am I going to fall down and worship this idol God and do what we were doing in, in Jerusalem and the reason we've been carried off into captivity? Am I going to forsake God or am I going to live? Because if I don't bow down, God's going to kill me. So everyone bows down. Verse 8 says, for, for this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. The charge was this. You're bowing down. You heard the charge, and you look over, and what do you see? What are you guys doing? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Get out. You're going to get us all killed. Right? You're terrified because you know. You know what the king said. You know what the king promised. Are you going to back them up? Or you're just going to bow down with your face to the ground and just say, hey, that's just their life. Because the king said in verse 6, but whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. What would I have done in that day? I mean, I don't want to be burned up, right? I mean, and you know, and God, you know, he brought us here, so he kind of knows and, and, and we would not even be in this position if you know, God hadn't put us under Nebuchadnezzar. And he is the king, and we should obey the king, right? I mean, i got to find every reason to live. Or would I have been one of those men, young, young men, Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego? How do I answer that question today? Well, how faithful am I now? <laughs> that will answer my question for what I would have done then. At least that would be the beginning of the conversation. So when, when we're reading the Bible, uh, think about, you know, putting yourself in that particular position and meditate on that. You know, what does God want me to know? What, is, you know, what can I get out of that? What can I gain from that to help me to put this, uh, commit this scripture to, to memory, to, uh, to grow in this scripture, to, to learn what God wants me to learn today, right? What can I get from that? You know, these aren't stories. These are live accounts of the people of God who were either, uh, well, they were always blessed, but they were tormented, tortured, persecuted. Some event, something happened to them. And God is giving us the accounts. And why did God give us the Old Testament accounts? So that we might grow, right? So that we might grow in faith and confidence. And what do you see in the account of Shadrach? Meshach and Abednego. Well, you know, it's just a kid's story, right? No, it's not a children's a 
account. It's a live account to help us to recognize that service to God is more important than your very life. That's what it's teaching us. So that when Jesus comes along and the Romans are persecuting the Christians and you have to make a decision, do I give my physical life or do I surrender, sprinkle little ashes on Nero and, Nep- and uh, all the you know, different emperors, Domitian, on their throne so that I can live another day? What would you do? What would I do? What I just, it's just a little bit. It won't matter too much. Like Polycarp. They said to Polycarp, look, it's not even that much. Just do a pinch. Just do a little teeny bit. But he wouldn't give in. Would I give in? What, would I give in? Remember the scripture earlier, sowing to the flesh? If I sow to the flesh, I'm going to live. I'll sprinkle a little ashes and it's going to be okay. I'm going to live. If I sow to the spirit, I'm going to live. See the, the difference, right? See, because when you live in the flesh, you die. And then you could die a spiritual death. But when you sow to the Spirit, Jesus says, even if you die, you will live. Right? The idea of life is not about all that I can gain in the physical. It's about what I have already received in the spiritual that will never be taken away. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, even if God doesn't save us, we're not bowing down to you. Do I have that kind of resolve? So this week I prayed something is said to encourage us to have that kind of resolve that we just, you know, we're focusing on sowing to the Spirit that we might continue to grow in Christ. And as you read the Word of God and you're studying it and you begin to examine these Scriptures, examine the scripture, and then examine the, the paragraph, and then examine the, the chapter, right? And that way you get a really good, clear understanding of, of all the text. We'll look at context later uh, in our studies, but thank you tonight for your time. We're going to have a devotional in just a little bit, uh, inviting you, encouraging you to come to Christ, to surrender if you have a desire. If you have a need, you can contact us. If you're online, uh, please do so. God bless you, and thank you tonight. For your time, we appreciate it.